0: A few years ago, I did a bike tour of Northeast Arkansas when I was living there. They called it a uh, tour de sunken lands. Uh, it was a 50-mile ride through the middle of nowhere. If you've never been to Northeast Arkansas, it's just flat delta nothingness. Um, it stops. This tour stopped at these little cultural sites in these little bitty towns. Uh, Johnny Cash's boyhood home was there. Uh, John Grisham's place. One bizarre museum of surgical devices from the 19th century, which is that is still in my nightmares. Um, But it started in this town called Tyronza, which is the home of the Southern Tenant Farmer Museum, dedicated to a labor movement in the 30s and 40s called the Southern Tenant Farmers Union. That's right. STFU. And I collect... (laughs) I clacked through on my bike shoes, giggling every time I saw that acronym on the walls. Um, but then I realized that that sleepy, flat, no-name monoculture land was once the hotbed of socialist labor uprisings, where the poor actually united over color lines in Jim Crow, Arkansas. Remarkable. The uh, Southern Tenant Farmers Union were reacting not only to the long standing exploitative agricultural system of the South, but particularly to the fact that during the New Deal, the government uh, offered financial benefits to landowners, ostensibly that that money would trickle down from the landowners to the tenant farmers and sharecroppers. Yes, surprise! (laughs) It turns out that those owners weren't too interested in passing on the profits. Everyone knows how humans work when we get power. You can hear the landowners now, can't you? You know, tenant farmers have taken care of themselves on their current wages. If I have more of the subsidy, I can buy more land and think of how many jobs I will produce when that happens. We don't trickle down power. We consolidate it. We rationalize it. We make laws to make sure that we keep it. It's how we work. Major uprisings in history Uh, Almost uniformly violence, as we are reminded in the news this morning from Israel. They have to do with land and tenants and farmers and people who claim to own that piece of it. And what we think of them often depends on where we are reading this in history. In the moment of revolt, we usually side with the status quo. We would like everyone to just settle down and be peaceful. Things aren't that bad. Surely there's another way for this to be worked out. But post revolt, looking backward, we are never on the landowner's side. When the poor revolt, history calls those systems oppressive and exploitative, and we applaud their downfall. In biblical times, this is important because none of the prophets were on the side of the overseers. From the very beginning, they warned of the danger of the centralized power of the king. Hosea, Amos, you know their refrain. You have forgotten the poor, so the Lord will forget you. Isaiah says... You who add house upon house and join field upon field until there is no room for anyone but you. You forget the poor and judgment waits for you. This is an old, repeated story. Jesus starts telling today's parable. We call it the parable of the wicked tenants. But look at this landowner. He buys a vineyard, but doesn't stick around to sit under his own vine or fig tree. How many vineyards does he have, anyway? He certainly has plenty of slaves. The tenant farmers, their lives spent tending the systems of vines and figs for others to enjoy, grow restless and rebellious. They band together. They grow violent. Everyone listening knows This is an old story. The people listening, the Jewish people, are also living their lives as tenants, oppressed under the Roman occupation with unrest spreading among them like Bermuda grass. They're paying favor and taxes and tribute to a God named Caesar who had bought the land and built some walls and lived far away. But notice what happens with our listeners, and who they instinctively side with. The landowner sends some slaves to negotiate with their fellow slaves. They're rejected. Some of them are killed. The owner sends his own son, hoping they'll see reason. They toss him out and kill him too. What will happen to these people, Jesus asks. The trap is laid. Wipe them out. Cry the Pharisees and scribes and you and me too. We walk right into it. It seems so obvious to us that this is the way a good story must run. A landowner has been wronged. Retribution must follow. We all identify ourselves with Landlords over the tenants. I think it's emotional resonance going on here. We like feeling wronged more than we like to feel powerless. Our whole lives are dedicated to the illusion of control perfect house, kids, job, life. Then you turn your back for one second, and the dog has chewed the couch up. Your three-year-old snuck up and bit her sister on the cheek hard. The mechanics seem to actually make the knocking sound worse. The lies of a loved one have been uncovered. You grew apart. He got sick. She never recovered. These things that we know, that we love, that we believe are our own, they go awry and our control mechanism kicks into gear. We think like landowners who will correct the story and wipe out the disorder that we meet. We never see ourselves as the disorderly tenants. Who are they? Depends on when you are reading again. Matthew says they are the religious authorities The early Christian church would disgracefully claim it was the Jews as a whole. Luther would say it was the Catholic church and the Pope, and also maybe the Jews. I know more than a few people who would say it is the Episcopalians. They are us. All of us. They are our whole, scattered, shockingly violent world, Given to us to tend for just a short while by a landowner we suspect is a long way from us and our doings. And what will that landowner do? The story doesn't end with God following the listener's advice. The son is murdered, the tenants are not. It is unjust. We do not want a story told like this. Because if God reacts to such a blatant wrong with such awful open mercy, then how are you and I to live? If God has stopped repeating our oldest patterns of enmity and revenge, how can our small stories not be forever changed."